This episode of the No Film School podcast is brought to you by Rode Microphones and Blackmagic Design. Hi, I'm John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Here we are, live from Utah, and our first interview is from a film called Arizona. Bizarre, right? Well, not nearly as bizarre as the film itself. Set in the midst of the 2009 housing crisis, this darkly comedic story follows Cassie Fowler, played by Rosemary DeWitt, a single mom and struggling realtor whose life goes off the rails when she witnesses a murder. The man who committed the murder, played by Danny McBride, proceeds to take her hostage, and she must do her best to escape the grasp of his insanity. The result is a film that quickly alternates between dark comedy and horror slasher, which makes sense considering the team behind it will be responsible for the Halloween sequel that's coming next year. Director Jonathan Watson has been part of David Gordon Green and McBride's Rough House production company since Eastbound and Down, but this is his first shot at the helm of the feature. To enhance that slasher vibe, he employed the talents of composer Joe Stevens. I sat down with Joe and Jonathan moments ago to talk about how a great score can be used to influence your audience, the typical workflow of audio post-production, and how a composer can stand out in the biz. Enjoy. Hey everybody, it's John Fusco and I'm here at Sundance. I have two guests with me. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We're going to talk Arizona and sort of the collaboration between a composer and a director. So starting with you, Joe. Uh, Joseph Stevens, composer for Arizona. Jonathan Watson, director of Arizona. Great. (laughs) So I guess let's just start this with a pretty basic question. How do you guys work together? What's your process like? Uh, Well, this is my first movie. So... It was, I've ne- I can't really speak to my, quote, process. Mm-hmm. Um, this specific movie, where there's a few things that were challenges. That the, the first one is that we don't live in the same city. That's tough. And so we, but we would, we have, during the making of the movie, we would meet up in a third city. <laughs> we, so I live in Los Angeles. Um, uh, Joseph lives in you live in Charlotte. No, Charlotte, yeah. Yeah, North Charlotte. Carolina. Yeah, Charlotte. Um, and we would meet in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> what, what was the purpose of that? Because <laughs> the Rough House gang was, had moved to Charleston to prep for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And basically, we, shot, we all shot vice principals. Mm-hmm. And we, worked on, we shot a two-season um, production where we shot two seasons in one go. So it was a seven-month shoot. To shoot two seasons of the HBO show Vice Principals in Charleston, and Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, who's also our kind of rough house partner, um, and Jody Hill all moved there for the production of that. Jo- David and Danny loved it so much they moved there permanently. David moved from Austin. Danny moved from Los Angeles. Wow! And they've set up their base of operations in Charleston, South Carolina. Is there like a film scene there or is it just there is now no nice <laughs> that's good to know <laughs> and they're making halloween the the new halloween there yeah. as we speak so how early into that uh did you have him on board during the actual production of the film as far as like would you get sent dailies or anything to no, sort of work with no, or? yeah we did we i got involved you know during the edit mm-hmm. um you know i've worked with jonathan before with vice principals in eastbound and down just never in this capacity so we, you know, had a relationship, a working relationship, but um, never in this capacity. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, once you guys had a, an assembly, mm-hmm. uh, I got a cut somewhat, you know, early on, I suppose. And I started sending ideas. Yeah. Um, and then, 
yeah, we just whittled some ideas down, figure out what, what would stick and what didn't stick. And then there's some, you know, like with every score, there's always like easy moments and, and hard moments or, you know, things that don't find their, you know, it's, it takes a while to get to where it needs to be. And mm-hmm. so, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, uh, you know, a lot of communication over internet and telephone. And then you had the occasional, you know, meeting in Charleston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what were some notes that uh, I guess you gave him um, in in this in this the, initial the stage? challenge of the movie? The tricky, the hardest part of the movie for me was this kind of tonal minefield mm-hmm. and and this genre blending aspect of the movie. It's also what drew everybody to wanting to do it. What drew Danny to do it initially, me to do it. Um, it is because it's not one thing. It's not. It's funny, scary crazy weird movie um and if the if if you don't get the score right then you you shatter if you're trying to walk a, a, a tightrope of tone mm-hmm. and if you lead too much or if you pull back or you push into another direction you're you're you can fight yourself and then and then you're chasing your tail. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. get into this whirlpool of like, well, now it sounds too dark. Now it sounds too light. Now it sounds too whimsical. And it's tough. I mean, it was some of these some of these parts that we were trying to find, or I was trying to find in the edit, to kind of to kind of you know to kind of just just nail exactly that the right level of horror or comedy. Um, the hmm. the score was instrumental in, in in pulling that off yeah i think when 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 earlier early on in the film when the, the main character starts to make a sort of a dark turn or when his character starts to develop that was the tricky area of trying to not tip the hat too much but not playing it you know too you know comedic or right. anything like that yeah. but we didn't want to give it away but it's, it's also very weird what he's doing so we can't not acknowledge that mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, once the character and everything gets completely insane, it kind of gets easier because we're just committed to making it sound insane and yeah, right. more <laughs> you know, kind of madcap and just you know loud and you know more powerful. But the subtleties of the beginning of the score um, that was kind of the tricky part. Yeah, just trying to figure out how to kind of toe that line or like which you know which way to go, like how far left or right, you know, how dark or light or we want to go yeah it really does like set up that weird world of arizona during this uh crisis i guess it's almost like science fiction in a way yeah Yeah. it's like lonely deserted deserted moonscape a sunburnt deserted moonscape yeah (laughs) so was that a an influence for you while writing the score at all yeah i think for me it was i I wanted to explore a lot of weird sounds and yeah and and we we knew early on that we were going to have this sort of uh kind of grindhouse electronic thing you know that's that has this because that kind of helps play the dark and the funny at the same time you know where it's not a a true horror film that's like has no light in it at all it's it has a genre element that you know has when when paired against some of these scenes and some of these performances they take on another kind of comedic you know level without being comedic music or horror music Mm. um and then yeah i think that certainly visually seeing some of what these shots look like and seeing some of the, these burnt out houses and abandoned lives, you know, was uh, a big part of like trying to find sounds that were, uh, you know, eerie and lonely and, you know, angry and desperate, you know, those kinds of things. And yeah, it was certainly dictated by the setting. Yeah, absolutely. Did you give him any temp music to work with or was it kind of just, uh, yeah, I mean, 
Yes, there was a. It, there was some in, in the very first cut. There was a bunch of temp music, and that, yeah, there was. T- and, you, and you're, you know, that that can be the blessing and the curse, because you know, if you fill a cut with, you know, John Carpenter music that everybody loves, but it's not right. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, again, you can kind of cheat yourself into into. It's it's that thing where, you don't want. You just naturally don't want to be looking at a cut with nothing. Yeah. But sometimes it's if you you can deceive yourself with temp music that is pushing it in the wrong direction. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a slippery slope with temp music. Yeah, I mean this had to be edited with some temp. I mean some of the temp that you guys edited with was like from other scores that that I had given you guys. Uh, yeah. Most of it was it was a kind of a mixed bag, I guess. Um, it was like. A, it was. Um, I didn't know a lot of it. I'm kind, it of, kind of not liking Sicario yeah, and, and, and John Carpenter uh, lost uh, themes. Maybe it, I, I, yeah. I saw a lot of John Carpenter in there in, in that. Oh yeah. Just because I'm like listening to. Yeah. I've been listening to Lost Themes a lot because it's something that I'm trying to use as temp music for yeah. my own short. Yeah, I know. So it's, it seems like uh, a popular choice these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely. I think so. Yeah, we try to, you know, we use that as sort of a springboard and didn't want to go full, fully, you know, mm-hmm. committed to that vibe, but we did want to touch on it and kind of use elements, uh, electronic kind of like pulsy elements of um, the kind of gross electronic feel almost, mm-hmm. um, and then implementing c- guitars and some other, uh, you know, non-electronic elements. Uh, but some of it was sprung from Carpenter for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, we're we're all fans of Carpenter. Yeah, it's mean, hard. It's hard not to be. It's it's so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the uh, the the last scene where he's he walks through. I I mean I don't want to. I don't think it's a spoiler. He walks through sort of a hydroponic yeah. garden. Um, and I mean the mood is just so Michael Myers yeah. in in yeah. a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like these people are hiding from the slasher. Yeah, no, it's a monster in the house. Um. What which really like lends itself to I think like a genre mm-hmm. that you know you're you're straddling these genres but you're it's pushing towards a slasher film almost yeah, oh yeah yeah we were definitely pushing that that phrase came up a lot you yeah. know with pushing the genre making it feel you know you know pushing it making it making it feel more in your face you know and kind of using that to our advantage because of this it it does toe the line of comedic and intense you know dramatic you know, it can be with these performances and kind of the absurdity and insanity of a lot of it, it kind of, it, it helped and it kind of just, you know, felt easy, not easy, but it felt, um, natural, right. I suppose. Yeah, it felt right. What, um, sort of strategies do you use to make a moment feel more lighthearted, uh, for example, or like comedic? Hmm. Well, instrument choice, I guess is one. Yeah. Uh, there's one cue in the movie that was like kind of the, the bane of all of well, my existence for the, for the, for the film, the hardest one, like early on, like trying to figure out the tone and make it less dark. Um, I think in the end, what we did, we just stripped everything out and just took, used like a couple piano notes and made it, you know, it sounded eerie still. And there were some elements of what was in there before it got toned or pulled back. But, uh, you know, I think it depends on instrument choice and, uh, how how extravagant you want to go, how big, you know, with as many instruments and or keep it sparse and minimal. And I think in general we took out a lot uh, score-wise just to make it more, I mean, I know we did, like make it more simplified. And There were the moments, the really tricky moments where we didn't want to lead. Yeah. We, did, we, didn't want to, we didn't want to tip our hat. We didn't want to go too dark and lead them into, because it's part of the, 
part of the ma- part of the, the magic of the movie, I think, is is it's unpredictability, and you and when when you think you know, there's a moment where you think oh, it's these two are gonna these two are gonna unite over a common foe, and it's everything they're gonna it's gonna take another course, and then it does not. Um, but if you tip your hand with kind of foreshadowing doom and gloom, you know, or or you or you give anything that gives away the shock, you, you undercut the the kind of gut punch of the shock, any kind of shocking reality. I don't want to give anything away about the scene, but the one that I guess I will call the unraveling scene because no one will also know. But uh, yes, exactly. That was it was uh, it was so fun for me last night to watch that because I, we that, that there's one scene in the movie that had like crazy big music in it, and we you had the idea of like making this this electronic beat or making a you know keeping it like beat oriented like letting a, a simple rhythm uh do the job of creating the tension as the these actors are unraveling and uh it was fun watching it last night cuz it totally it was amazing it was it was great i had almost I truly had forgotten that that was i didn't forget but it was uh you know I was sort of still used to the way it was, and so when it came out that way, I was like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, then, like, conversely, you know, you were talking about how uh, you don't want to lead the audience to uh, uh, expect what's coming, mm-hmm. but would you ever use it in the opposite way where you try and, like, throw them off? Absolutely. We try to hide, you, you know, yes, and, and often you know the music will tease up a moment you know ratchet 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 to a to a to a you know a release or to a pinnacle mm-hmm. um, or crescendo of action or or drama mm-hmm. um, but we were we were constantly doing that we were the 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 moment in the kitchen with when Vicky tries to leave the house mm-hmm. it's like that's like we t- there was a moment where we, it did ratchet up and it and it and it led you to to a to a strike, mm-hmm. um, and we'd like no. We want to h- completely hide all that. Right. Do not want to. Do not tip our hand in, at any point. Well, the movie has a lot of moments like that too, where there's a lot of build up to a you know, it's like a thriller, you know. So that you're a lot of tension that has a release, and so you know, it's important to kind of layer those. You know, and you can't make them all the same or make yeah. them all like heavy as hell. You know, it has to have some texture and and an arc. You know, so. That was uh, that was the tricky part of the movie, you know, early on, just to kind of balance those because knowing we're going to make it really big in the end, or you know, make it all as big as we could. There were definitely like some jump scare moments, mm-hmm. um, like literally the people next to me like gasped audibly. I don't know, could you guys hear those? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, no, we're, we're you know a lot of people, not a lot of people, but a lot of people around me have seen the movie. Thirty times. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was around people that didn't had not seen it. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. It, I I enjoyed it. it. Was like this woman in front of me. Like there was one scene where one of the characters pops in the screen and uh, she just like jumped up and had both of her, both of her hands around her ears, just like totally frightened, you know, which was perfect. And some of the some of the um, you know some of the violent things that happen uh, in the movie are uh, they were also kind of shocking, you know, to some of these people, and it was in the right way but they also kind of weirdly laughed you know at some of these moments which is, which is what we want you know yeah, yeah. to how's, laugh at some violence so how did the score like how can you use the score to set up that jump scare I guess uh, and like because that seems like a pretty collaborative uh, moment because yeah. you're working with the edit you're working yeah. with mm-hmm. the yeah, director totally. yeah. Yeah. well we, there's some there's a few of them that we, we would try different ways to do it yeah. um, you know with using just sounds for one thing and then uh, making something you know 
either affecting the sound at the moment of the jump or using the music after the the scare mm-hmm. to make it seem like it was a bigger scare. So like yeah. having a moment and then all of a sudden there's no music and you're just kind of playing with sound design or, you know, the, the environment um, as opposed to, kind of, you know, having this big lasting cinematic f- filmic score moment, you know, it could have like a, a jolt and be out. Mm-hmm. Um, or Steve had it, the editor had it, an idea that was um, using uh, like, for one scare, we instead of making a booming noise, we used a high pitch uh, sound. So we sort of went the opposite of like a thunderous thing and went to more of a kind of a yeah. cl- not clatter, but like yeah. a pierce uh, kind of right. thing. It was a, it was a, it was exactly it was like a it was a it was like a bird of prey. Yeah, it was like a shriek. Yeah. <laughs> so how closely are you working with the uh, the sound designer in a sense? Like, is is it given to who gets not, it first? Not the sound designer doesn't come into deep in the game yeah it's almost like after it's after it's after composer director and editor have had it for a much for for months mm. and then once you've got the cut and the music and, and then then it's in the sound designer is the last it's the last you know it's the last link in the chain and then you go in for a week of sound mixing okay isn't is that that's pretty much the industry standard then it's okay that's good to know yeah. i've always been i've actually always been wondering that i'm like when do i who do I hand it over to first? Um, yeah, yeah but sometimes the edits can be, you know, months, months. I mean, you know, some people edit for much oh, longer yeah. than you would think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, and then once you've got, it's like, all right, done. The cut's done, and and and, and it's done. And then the any, the score can can still be worked on, but it sh- you it it shouldn't really. Mm-hmm. It should be, it you should have it by the time you get to the sound sound design, because then they're gonna then they go in and you know the, you you. You dial up, every, you know. You go every single, you know, everything that every foley, every footstep, every door, every creaking moment, every rattling can. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, and you want the score there for like while that happens. Yeah, yeah I, I ideally, 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 you, ideally, that's done. And you know, rarely, rare occasions you hear that they'll, but sometimes they'll they'll get that point movies and they'll throw the they'll just they you know they'll get rid they'll do a test and they'll get rid of the they'll bring in a brand new composer mm-hmm. but that's like you know that those are those are indulgent people <laughs> that does happen more often these days than you think it's, i mean i've had it's like i had a couple jobs last yeah, year that you took over yeah that, um, <laughs> and it was for a variety of reasons it was uh yeah so it, it does happen Blackmagic Design creates the world's highest quality products for the feature film, post-production, and television broadcast industries. Blackmagic Design's DeckLink Capture Cards launched a revolution in quality and affordability in post-production, while the company's Emmy Award-winning DaVinci Color Correction products have dominated the television and film industry since 1984. Founded by world-leading post-production editors and engineers, Blackmagic Design is dedicated to allowing the highest quality video to be affordable to everyone, so the post-production and television industry can become a truly creative industry. The all-new VideoMic Pro Plus from Rode Microphones is the ultimate on-camera shotgun microphone. The VMP Plus is jammed packed with features, including an automatic power function, perfect for the run-and-gun shooter, which automatically turns the microphone off when unplugged from the camera. A built-in battery door, which makes replacing the battery a breeze, plus it won't get lost. Multiple power options, digital switching, which will ensure user has ultimate capture of the audio signal at the source, reducing post-production and editing times, including a two-stage high-pass filter, a three-stage gain control, 
a high frequency boost, and a safety channel which will help ensure the signal does not clip when unexpected spikes occur. That's the VideoMic Pro from Rode Microphones. So how did you get involved in the project uh, at first while we're talking about, you know, bringing on composers to a project? Like, how well, does a composer get I work with hired? Roughhouse a lot, um, and so I'm going to know about pretty much everything they're, do they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, they, uh, Danny talked to me about it early on. Um, they sent me a script. I went to a table read in L.A. It was a, um, and I guess, I mean, it's kind of, I don't really know. I mean, other than just being friends with everyone, we're all started talking about this movie that we're all going to no, make. This is, a, this is a, this is, you know, this is a gypsy, gypsy family tribe that started back with, when they were all in film school together. Okay. Film school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were talking they about were, that. No, no, <laughs> yeah, North Carolina School of the Arts. I actually oh. wasn't in School of the Arts. Where were you in? I was I was in UNC Greensboro, which is like 15 minutes away. Wow, you were you were an interloper. That's right. <laughs> I'm one of, I'm, I I was friends with them all during that time, but yeah, never uh I we had a buddy that I had a buddy that transferred and you know, met all these guys in film school then would do stuff for them like scoring student films and whatnot. And who is that? Ben. Oh, the, wow. the, 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 the Yeah, it's a Ben, ben Bess who used to be a writing partner of Danny McBride. So if you are a composer and you're like trying to get work, what's the best way to do that? Because I... You I, know, I, don't, I have a... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've been like sort of... I just had a Kickstarter and I was already being bombarded by like... People that wanted to do it? Yeah. Like yeah. Without, well, there's a lot of hustle for it. I mean, I think that... It's a strange, I feel pretty lucky because a lot of the guys that I work with, are, most of the the core group of guys that I work with are all um, friends I've known since college. And so it's, it was, we just kept doing stuff. I kind of like, you know, I didn't have to do a lot of the, what a, what a lot of composers do, or they go to, you know, conservatory, they go to mm -hmm. school for it and study it, and, or they go out to LA and start hustling and, you know, take a more like hitting the pavement kind of approach. I was fortunate enough to be, I was in a band that, you know, and all these guys are making movies and they would share music for the band and then from the band to the films and the films would sometimes get big and then, or have some exposure. And then these guys are such good, the roughhouse guys are so great and they, they're such good friends and they just, you know, keep, you know, they want to work with their, their friends and who they have relationships with and who they're comfortable with. And so that just led to more work. And then by way of that, those jobs get more exposed and, mm. And so then, as a result, I get more exposed, and so you know, it kind of helps me, obviously. And so uh, I kind of came up in a, in a different way um, than a, a lot of people do, where I didn't have to pound that the pavement this, in the same way. I mean, I have you know, there were still I'm still looking for jobs, you know, right, I'm not, right. Um, but it, you know, it's uh, I didn't. I, I was lucky to have to be born into it with um, it's kind of a a crew that is full, like a fully formed crew that like writes and produces and directs films and, and TV shows. And so I'm like the guy that didn't, they didn't have a guy that did music except for <laughs> yeah. me. So that's, and they, I guess they didn't need one. Yeah. So, um, so I was lucky yeah. in that sense, but I know a lot of guys that it's, it's, a lot of guys come up through the, uh, the music like bands. Uh, right. There's so many, I had a conversation yesterday with another composer about, how bands, um, a lot of bands these days, the music business is so tough that a lot of guys, you know, they look to films and to scoring gigs and, you know, by way of their band, you know, having music placed in it and a lot of those guys peel off in the bands yeah. and have, you know. Yeah. I, I just met Marilyn Manson's new guitarist. He is Tyler Bates who scored oh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, yeah. and Sucker Punch. You and met him here? 
No, he, he and our daughters go to school together. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's really uh, yeah. That band thing is really interesting because it seems like in that sense it's almost converse too that you'd get a uh, you can get band jobs from movies nowadays. Yeah. Um. So what's attractive uh, for you? Um, for a composer as a director, like what do you like to see well, in, in mean, terms of I, collaboration? Or I cannot really speak to that. In the sense, that it was my first movie, and and, and I I have Joey's dear friend of mine, and I and I've always loved the music he's done. I love the music he did in Vice Principals and Eastbound. So I've seen him kind of grow and progress and become a better composer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I'm a, as a film as a film goer and as a as cinephile. You know, I just I love I love you know music across the board, and you know as we were talking about before the John Carpenters of the world and and the Desplats, and I, I love great composers and their work, and I think jo, you know Joey is is right up there. I, lo- I think I think this score is magnificent. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks guys. <Yeah. laughs> you had some crazy ideas in the beginning, like um or the uh was the opening there was there was a piece of music that you the what is it? it's the um. It's the band, the Australian band, uh, Midnight yeah, Oil. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, yeah. I, you know, it, but the, the, the what the what we ended up with that piece of music, the Arizona, mm-hmm. what opens it? Right, it's like it's great. I can't beat that. How so? I guess we should get into music supervision uh, and where that like, plays. Uh, a on. gentleman by the name of Devoe Yates, uh, look him up. He sh- you should hire him for all your movies. <laughs> he is tremendous. Is that is that something that comes in? He, where where those, is that? The first movie and the uh, first sorry, the first song and the last song. Yeah, yeah. Absolute devotion. Yeah, Yates. fantastic. Like, like he found, like I, I was, I had this other idea, which for the opening music, devotion. That song, that Arizona song, which is, uh, a, by a, one of the members of Paul Revere and the Raiders. What is his name? Okay, what, what, the singer of Paul Revere and the Raiders, and it was like a track that came out. I think it was on the Billy Jack soundtrack movie. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, called Arizona. I mean, Billy Jack. Yeah, and that song is about, um, it's about like a conservative boyfriend chiding his his uh, hippie girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I don't think I've heard the whole song this entire. That's it's, amazing. It's, I mean, the lyrics are insane, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, so it's just like what that the way it's used in the beginning, it kind of it allows the audience to know, oh, this is, you're going to be able to laugh at some fucked up stuff. Mm-hmm. If I can say that on your podcast, oh yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I'll say that. So going back to how uh, yeah. we were sitting around, I was sitting around at the screening, pe- people that I didn't know and I knew that I hadn't seen the film. Yeah. Um, there's a scene, like the second scene of the movie, or you know, thereabouts, the first big scene, um, which is pretty fucked up, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's and so we use the music that song, the Arizona song, to kind of like play against what yeah. we're watching. And it totally worked. Like these people yeah. were like laughing at this, the yeah. worst thing you should be laughing at. It was, it was amazing. There was applause. If I, it was like no, a, it was just like worse. it was yeah. so strange. It was, it was also the, the it's complete. That's the intent. You know, it was awesome. No, that, was, that, is, the, that is the that is the sweet spot we wanted to hit. Well, I guess uh, just wrapping things up here. Um, I like to ask this of all our, our all our guests is. Uh, what kind of advice can you give to aspiring composers? I, I suppose in this sense. Um, well, I guess to keep working, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just keep making music Mm -hmm. and I guess also sticking to what you do best or what you enjoy the most. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's important. I think sometimes you try to overextend and do things just to get a job or to try to sound like somebody else or to do what maybe is 
kind of outside your wheelhouse. You know, sometimes it works, and I don't, you should always push yourself to do new things. But you know, if you're not enjoying it, uh, or if it's not, it's, you're, you're kind of doing a disservice to yourself. Uh, I think. What do you do in your f- free time when you're not compo- Like, what kind of music are you making when you're not composing for films? Essentially, like, are you, are you trying to broaden your? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I. I I don't know. I, I write a lot of stuff on piano that just goes nowhere. You mm-hmm. know, that I just have like a hard drive full of music that I kind of keep in mind. So I have things to keep in mind for, you know, ideas, melodic ideas that could be used here and there. And so uh, I, I, what I do in my own time, I don't know. I explore a lot of, uh, recently I just, I did a short film, um, that was like using a 20 piece orchestra. So I did all this like, like, uh, Hitchcock, like kind of Bernard Herman kind oh, yeah, of yeah. way out of my, um, canon so to speak but it was uh pretty it was it was amazing it was fun to kind of you know work on uh things that you know i'm not playing myself i'm not playing piano or guitar or keyboard drums or whatever so it's uh, i mean i'm kind of playing a lot of things i have a lot of electronics i have a lot of synthesizers and um i love you know folky guitar music and uh and thrash polka thrash polka i love uh uh opera <laughs> <laughs> I do like opera. Yeah, um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I just, you, you sob during opera. I did. I, I have. You sob. <laughs> I have. <laughs> We're painting an odd picture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you experiment with just sound in general? We like, did a lot of that for Arizona. Yeah. yeah, where I went and I recorded a bunch of um, a bowed. I took a bow, a cello bow, and bowed um, notes or uh, strings on the piano, and then would feed them to my computer and just. Hmm pitch shift them down, you know, by like 24 semitones or something, you know, like, and so just making them sound like an instrument, but sort of an un- unidentifiable instrument. And I did this another thing where I would like bend metal and uh, bow it while bending it. And it has this, uh, like screeching kind of mm-hmm. like human, like a woman screaming almost. It had a very human kind of, um, metallic sound, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, I don't know what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like an instrument really doing it. So we did a lot of that for the movie and I was just kind of, use a lot of that for some scenes. It almost became like a theme. Once things kind of went off the rails, it kind of became like this sort of, um, you know, thematic yeah. Yeah. Uh, idea that we would touch on a lot. Yeah, it's it's, it's dark and twisted. You know, you quite, can't quite put your finger on what it is. That's It's great for horror. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you don't know what's coming like exactly. that. Um, so then, Jonathan, I, I would ask, uh, this is your first movie, Yes, it is. Congratulations. Thank you very much. What advice would you give to aspiring directors? Um, uh, very good question. Uh, it's material, you know. Just hunt for good material. Or And if you're, if you, I, I've written a couple of scripts. I did not write this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's the material. Um, hunt it down, find it. If you can't find it, create it. Mm-hmm. That's my advice, and like kind of what speaks to you in that sense. Exactly, if it, and you, you're gonna know it when you know it. It's mm-hmm. like it when it gets you, when it gets you in the gut, when it gets you, when you feel it. Awesome. You know, when you have a physical reaction to it, go for it. Great. Well, thanks for uh, talking to me, guys. This yeah, has been thank you. Great awesome. to meet you. And uh, yeah, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the No Film School podcast and give us five stars. We'll be coming out with many more interviews from Sundance. This is the first of at least 10. So you can look forward to that over the next couple of weeks. We'll be back on Thursday with Indie Film Weekly. And uh, until then, have a great week.